The following is presented by the National Federation of the Blind of South Carolina. Steve Cook, and I'm president of the Computer Science and Technology Division here with the NFB of SC. And today we have with us John Panarese, who is a director for Mac for the Blind, and he's going to give us some uh, information related to Macs. And John, uh, take it away, sir, and feel free to um, either stop during your presentation to allow questions, or you can wait to the end. Either way is fine, sir. We always let the presenter decide. Okay, that's fine with me. Well, thanks for, first of all, Steve, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I'm very honored uh, to have been given the chance to do these presentations. I, I love actually <laughs> doing this, whether it's live or over Zoom. Uh, I love doing accessibility presentations. Just to give you a little bit of background, so you know those of you who don't know who I am, it's not like I'm just stepping out of the uh, you know out of the shadows and you know whatever. I've been in the blindness industry since 1992. I used to sell products for the blind for several years. I used to distribute for some overseas products as well as being a window eyes and jaws dealer and braille displays and braille printers for index, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I switched over to deciding I wanted to do training specifically around 2009, 2010. Um, I got involved with Apple accessibility right around the time that voiceover um, became accessible on the Mac with uh, what back then was Mac OS Tiger 10.4 in 2005. And I was beta testing for Apple. I had went out and bought an iBook at the time. But I was still selling products, you know, for for Windows and, you know, still doing my my vendor job. Uh, but when I closed my business, I had a couple of friends. I was trying to decide what I was going to do with Come my on, life. Dude. You know, I was going to go back to school and become an IT person, et cetera, et cetera. And long story short, a very good friend of mine talked me into putting up MacForTheBlind.com putting it as a resource for the community and, and all kinds of material that I could find or had been contributed to me over the years. And then he suggested, why don't you, why don't you suggest that you can do training for people? You've been really showing people how to use a Mac and then the iPhone had just come out accessibly with the 3GS like a year before. So I was like, ah, I'm not, I'm not really a trainer. I, I don't know. I don't teach. He goes, well, what have you been doing for the last, you know, 15, 16 years with your products? You have to train people how to use them. <laughs> so I threw it out there. And lo and behold, I got an immediate interest from several state uh, agencies, a couple of private organizations and several private clients. And really, it's kind of just gone from there. And um, it's my full time thing now. I train, I'd say 90 percent is Apple products, 10% is Windows and Braille. 
um, at this point. So, you know, basically my background here has been, I've been beta testing Mac OS uh, since 2005 for accessibility. And I've been beta testing iOS since about 2012, I guess, or 2013 for accessibility. I have been contracted with Apple to teach employees uh, at least a half a dozen times. Uh, I've been worked directly with Apple for about eight months on uh, quality assurance for apple.com back in 2014. Uh, and I have, you know, I have a pretty good relationship. I am not an Apple employee. I am my own private entity. Mac for the Blind is my company. Um, it's just that I happen to do some contract work and get paid on occasion to, to help them out. So, you know, my, the point I'm trying to make here is my knowledge and background with Apple is pretty extensive at this point. <laughs> I am an Apple certified support professional and ACSP. I'm also an Apple certified trainer. Um, I can't say people will ask me how many blind people are ACSPs, how many blind people are ACTs. I don't really know the answer that, to that because I don't think Apple really keeps records. I can tell you that I have trained and have witnessed 14 current students take the ACSP exam and become Apple certified support professionals. Um, a few of them work directly for Apple inside Apple right now. Others are doing their own private thing. A few others are working for assistive technology centers in Louisiana and a couple of other places. So, you know, I've been really satisfied in, in knowing that the work that I've put into teaching people has, you know, bared some fruit to some extent. So Steve asked me to come in today and speak directly about the Mac and about accessibility of the Mac and how it might, quote unquote, compare uh, to Windows. So let me just, I know Steve gave me an order of things to kind of go through, but I'm going to start with the question about Mac and Windows because that becomes the most common thing that I am asked. And I remember years ago, there used to be those television commercials, the PC versus Mac stuff. And, you know, you get your, you get your people who are in the, you know, the camp of being quote unquote Apple fanboys and you get the people who are in the quote unquote, the camp of Microsoft fanboys, Windows fanboys, whatever you want to call them. And that's fine and well. Um, the funny part is as I've gotten older and more experienced doing this as a blind individual has been blind since I've been about 10 years old and I've used assistive technology way back with the old uh, was a TSI impair, uh, um, power, Braille and power with Windows 311. I've seen a lot of stuff happen over the years. And the bottom line is accessibility is accessibility. As long as the blind person is able to get employed and maintain their position, whatever technology is necessary for them to establish themselves and get a paycheck, that's, that's really the bottom line when it comes to my assistive technology cult consulting hat. So, you know, let me say, I, I want to stress this because I'm not, it, I may come off as I'm bashing Microsoft and I'm bashing Windows, and it's not, that's not the case at all. I still use Windows. I still train uh, Windows 11, JAWS, Braille uh, for several of my contracts I get asked to do. I keep my Windows skills uh, up to date as much as I possibly can. I've been toying with the idea of one of these days of actually going for the JAWS certification exam um, at some point when I when when 
the almighty adds another couple of hours to the 24 hour day cycle. I might be able to put enough time into studying for that stuff. But at this point, I'm doing what I do to keep alive, to keep paying my bills and just, you know, keep on keeping on, as they say. So let's start with Max. So there's been, I guess, a lot of controversy slash misinformation slash um, I don't want to say lies because that's too strong of a word, but it's been interesting to me that as the Mac has grown in popularity in both the sighted and blindness world, that there is almost this desperate attempt at times for people to justify um, continued use of Windows and that Windows is better than Mac, et cetera, et cetera. The bottom line is the end user is going to decide what's better for themselves. I will just say this as a Mac user since two, a full time Mac user since 2007, there are a lot of reasons why I do everything in my personal and business life on the Mac and do not choose Windows to do that. And I only use Windows to keep up my skills and to train people. It is not my my tool of choice. But again, that's my decision. But I will say this. I just find in the overall grand scheme of things, regardless of the stuff you might read on the internet and people might claim, the, to me, using the Mac is a lot more straightforward and intuitive. Things that you need to find on the Mac, system preferences, um, things that you do in a Word document that you can do in text edit that you do in mail is just easier and more intuitive and more flexible and then you have with Windows 11 and JAWS. I mean, to me, there's just so many layers involved in using a Windows screen reader that it just sometimes I just sit back and go, wow, why do they make this so complicated? Why didn't you know Microsoft kind of follow the role of Apple and simplify stuff? I mean, you know, I know there's advanced Windows users out there who are going to say, well, you know, if you know what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. And I get it because I use that expression all the time to people. You're only as good as your screen reader, as good as you are as a screen reader user, meaning that if you put the time into your screen reader and you spend a lot of time practicing and understanding the nuances, you're going to be a lot better user than somebody who's just kind of a casual, um, you know, part time user. So I, that's the reason why I wanted to stress that I've been a Windows user since 1992, 93. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just pulling this stuff out of my backside and just saying it for effect. Um, you know, this is my years of experience in the assistive technology business. And, you know, the other thing I hear people still use this 20 year old uh, excuse, especially among state agencies that, well, it's a PC world. It's a Windows world in business. That was true 10, 20 years ago. That's not really the truth anymore. If you actually look at marketing statistics and you speak to people who are in business, I have friends who run businesses. I have friends who work for um, Cisco, who work for IBM. That has changed significantly. Apple has been very intelligent in who they've partnered with and the inroads that they make. From the last data that I was reading uh, during the summer, Basically, Apple is going blow for blow with Microsoft in the enterprise market. It's pretty much 50-50 as far as their presence and their sales within the enterprise market. So a lot of companies have brought in what they call a bring your own computer policy, 
meaning that they don't care if it's a Mac or a Windows uh, computer, as long as you can do your job. And a lot of companies are now asking that IT staff have the experience to be able to support both Windows and Macs. So, you know, this myth that, that some state agencies are still trying to feed consumers is really not true. And I think it, it has a lot to do with the lack of knowledge and a lack of just, you know, you just, you just do the same thing day to day. I have the advantage in that I'm out here working with people. And it's interesting to me that a lot of my Mac clients that I've gotten in recent years through state agencies are employed and their employer is using Macs. And that's why I have to train them. So it's changed to me when I started doing this in 2010, 2011, the vast majority of my training was iOS. It was all iPhone, iPads and a very small percentage of Macs. And you really did not get a lot of state agencies that were, you know, were recommending Macs or purchasing Macs on behalf of clients. That has changed a lot, especially I'd say within the last three, three, two or three years. My Mac load right now pretty much is, I think it's 60, 40 Mac over my iOS clients right now. So I've just noticed a, a really interesting shift in things. And I have a lot of clients who I like to call hybrid users, meaning that they, like me, they use both Mac and Windows and they take the advantages of both arenas based on what they're doing for their job, what they're required to access. You know, I mean, I'm sure you can pick apart both operating systems and both what you can access and when you can't, what you can't access. And I'm not here to try to do a blow by blow comparison. I'm just trying to give you the overall grand scheme of things. So to kind of answer one of Steve's questions, basically the big advantages that a Mac has over Windows, in my humble opinion, from my usage is, as I said, the intuitive nature of Macs. It's basically they take the same approach of iOS and they try to make it so that a, you know, an individual uh, really can figure out things a lot easily without necessarily having to read a manual. And things are pretty straightforward with a Mac. And, you know, there is also a myth out there, you know, people say, oh, you know, voiceover's got so many keyboard commands, got so many, what do you think JAWS has? Yeah, anybody ever take a look at the JAWS help files and, and the, all the um, repositories that you can find online with uh, all the different JAWS keyboard commands and now the layered keystrokes? It's a screen reader. A screen reader is a keyboard driven system, you know, traditionally going back way back when, you know, dinosaurs walked the earth. When I started doing this, that's the way it's always been. You can't get around that. You're going to be using keyboard commands. And sometimes they are a little complex because you're trying to avoid having conflicts with the OS keyboard shortcuts or application specific keyboard shortcuts. So that's why a lot of both JAWS and voiceover do rely on having multiple sort of contortionist uh, keyboard, uh, you know, sequences that you have to press. Now, from the standpoint of voiceover, just like JAWS, there are ways you can simplify things. Um, I know that gets overlooked in the Mac arena. You have the what's called the numpad commander. You have the keyboard commander. Uh, in web browsing with Safari, you do have the same single key navigation that is used in JAWS. You don't have forms mode. Uh, everything is straightforward on the Mac when it comes to internet browsing. You can immediately fill out forms and stuff and, you know, navigate by form controls and things of that nature. Um, 
you know, so that to me, and it's again, not to pick on Microsoft. So I don't want anybody to, to, you know, to kind of say, but the reality of windows is regardless of what Microsoft wants to claim and say, there are still well over 700,000 known viruses and malware that, you know, basically are out there that can still infect Windows 11 PCs. The bottom line about Windows is DOS is still the, the, the primary, I guess you call it underpinnings, foundation, whatever you want. And, you know, it's still hacked pretty consistently by people out there. And you still, as a Windows user, you have to be, and it's not to say that a Mac user doesn't have to be vigilant because I would be really understating things in 2022 going into 2023. But as a Windows user, you have to be a lot more aware of viruses and malware and how easily you can get infected on your computer, regardless of whether you're using Windows, Windows Defender, Norton, whatever the case may be, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. On the Mac, it's not to say that it is not possible to get a malware or to even get a Mac virus. But the thing from the Mac side is usually that comes only through third party apps or third party features. And secondly, the user on the Mac side is usually at guilt, at fault for bringing that onto their computer. So the basic example, and I know some blind people are going to find this amusing and, you know, whatever, but porn sites are the biggest culprit on the Mac side for malware. Because what happens is you get people who want to access porn sites and see videos, and they get this little pop-up message that says, oh, you can watch this, but you got to download the blah, blah, blah plugin. So, oh, okay, so I want to watch this video. So I guess I'll just use this plugin, not realizing that the plugin is basically either the malware or the route from malware <coughs> onto your Mac. So if you're a user who just understands this stuff, as a Mac user, I don't have antivirus or malware software on my Mac. I just, I, I'm, I don't do those kinds of things. And the only reason why I would, I'm thinking about getting Mac scan or something like that is because I do do Windows training and I do have Outlook for Windows and I don't want to end up accidentally, you know, giving my own PC a virus by way of a, of a mail message on my Mac or anything like that. So that's the only reason why I am considering that from my perspective. But overall, as a Mac user for 17, almost 18 years now, I do not have, I do not run virus protection or I don't scan files and stuff on my computer because I just don't put myself in the position of, of worrying about that stuff. And as long as you keep up to date with your Mac software updates, just like in Windows, as long as you keep up to date with the latest security patches and if you're running windows defender or uh mac v or or uh, uh norton's or avg as long as you keep up with the latest updates you'll, you'll be protected and the same thing goes from the mac standpoint you know those those updates that you get nagged about are for a reason so you know i know some people get very lazy and in, in, in both the pc and mac world but from the mac standpoint it's just as important to keep your mac up to date so as far as your Mac options go, there are, depending on what you're, what you're really needing to do, most users can, deal, can, can very happily use MacBook Airs. MacBook Airs are the bottom line, the foundational, I guess, computer that you can get as far as laptop computers go. You have MacBook Airs and you have MacBook Pros. 
And then you have different options and as far as configurations go within like, let's say the MacBook Pro, you have the 13 inch, you have the 14 and 16 inch models. Um, so really the choice of which Mac laptop you use comes down to your personal needs and situations. If you're going to be involved in serious audio editing, uh, even videographers, people who are partially sighted, who can still see enough using the accessibility tools on the Mac, the non-voiceover accessibility tools, you know, you're going to need something with a little bit more kick. So probably a MacBook Pro of some kind is what you would probably be required. But for the average user, such as myself, um, you know, if you're just doing internet browsing, you're, you're streaming, you know, Hulu or Netflix or whatever the case may be, you're doing your mail, you're doing word processing, you could do just fine with a, with a MacBook Air. And then the only thing that comes really the choice is how much storage do you want on, you know, built into the device, you know, eight gigabytes of RAM, 16 gigabytes of RAM is far, you know, is, is really pretty solid at this point in time, as far as, you, you know, there's, VoiceOver doesn't eat up processor resources. So you really, you know, can eight or 16 gigabytes, you're perfectly fine with. The real question when I'm, when I'm asked and I'm helping people set up, you know, you know, kind of purchase a Mac is really the amount of internal storage do you want? You know, do you want 256? Is, is 512 gigabytes fine? Do you need a terabyte? Do you need more than a terabyte? You know, it depends on the user and what kind of a, you know, electronic hoarder you might happen to be, you know, some people I have users that are very happily using MacBook Airs with only 256 gigabytes of, of SSD, because they don't really do a lot of downloading, and they just do their basic day to day stuff. And then of course, you can purchase external drives, um, you know, these days, relatively cheap. I mean, if you go to Amazon, you go to overstock.com, you walk into a Best Buy or an Office Office <laughs> Max or even a um, uh, a Costco and stuff, you can find external hard drives for you know two, three, four plus terabytes really inexpensively these days. And a lot of these drives now are the size of a deck of cards or a pack of cigarettes. So you know you can easily carry them with you and and you know hook them up when you need them and increase the flexibility of the storage of your Mac. So, you know, and then you don't have to, I know there's another myth out there about uh, formatting and what drives you can and can't use on Macs. Basically, any of the drives out there you can use as a Mac. I mean, you know, the Mac will understand, you know, the basic uh, Windows NTFS at this point formatting. If you're using Mac OS Ventura, um, you're, you're fine with, you know, a drive that's formatted with NTFS, but you can always reformat the Mac. The only time that that might become an issue is with Time Machine. If you're using a drive specifically to back up your Mac, Time Machine is a backup, a built-in backup system that all Macs include that allow you easily without fuss to back up your Mac consistently. So God forbid there's ever a situation where you either need to restore your Mac uh, you know, you can easily do that by, by way of a time machine backup. Time machine also allows you to restore deleted files very easily um, to bring back emails that you might have purged from your system. 
and you realize, oh my God, I shouldn't have deleted that email and it's no longer in your trash or your you know, deleted items folder, you can use Time Machine in a very simple way to get those things back as long as you have a backup that goes back in time. So the thing though with a Time Machine drive is you exclusively only wanna use that for Time Machine. You don't really wanna store other things. And once it's formatted for Time Machine, it's not going to be formatted to, you know, to easily use as a Windows drive as well. So that's the only caveat when it comes to external drives. So as far as of, of desktop Macs go, you have the Mac Mini. And the Mac Mini is just a box that has ports and stuff on it. And you can connect, a, if you need to connect a monitor, you know, you can go out and buy a simple monitor or you can get one of the Apple displays if you got some bucks to spend. And, you know, but for, as far as, you know, you can just use a simple monitor. You can connect it with a USB keyboard or you can get a Bluetooth keyboard and pair it with the Mac Mini. Um, and it's got all kinds of ports in the back and you can expand with, you know, with hubs and things of that nature. And it's a relatively inexpensive desktop computer, especially the ones with the M1s. Uh, you know, they're very powerful and there are a lot of professionals who don't even need to go to the Mac Pro, which is the high end desktop that a Mac user or the iMac, which is the one all in one system. The iMac is one of my favorites. Um, I owned an iMac for about seven years and I'm contemplating if they're going to come out with the M2 iMacs of maybe upgrading at this some point later in this year. Um, but really, if you're looking for a bottom line desktop computer you don't really have a lot of money to spend as long as you have a keyboard and you know potentially a monitor if it's necessary to get a um a sighted individual's help a mac mini can do the job for you uh if you want the all-in-one the imacs are nice they're even more and more compact now you literally can carry them with you i mean i wouldn't advise you taking with taking it with you on trips you know, if you're just going away, but it's definitely an, a, a desktop that you can move around very easily. It's, it's just really slick and light. And again, it gives you a lot of flexibility as far as connectivity goes. It also has the built-in stereo speakers and um, a microphone, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like having a home theater uh, right built into your computer. And then of course, if you're really a serious uh, user of, let's say, again, video and uh, editing or, you know, music, you got a music studio and stuff like that, then you might want to look at the Mac Pro models. And I'm, I'm sure they're going to be probably updating those things either this year or next year with the, with the latest uh, Apple chips. Uh, those of you who are not familiar, Apple basically um, parted company with Intel. They were using Intel for several years uh, and they decided as they were doing their own chips for the um, iPads and iPhones that they basically outgrew Intel and the x86 architecture of Intel chips. So they have what they call system on a chip. Uh, you hear it called a lot of things, but M1 and M2s are the processors that you'll find in, uh, um, in you know, the <laughs> latest Mac computers, the MacBook Pros, the MacBook Airs, uh, the Mac Minis. And these things really blow the doors off of Intel. And it's kind of the dirty little secret that um, I think a lot of people in the computer world, especially Intel themselves, are kind of panicking because Apple keeps pushing the envelope further and further with these chips. 
and the, the speeds in which they do processing and video rendering. And if you're a gamer, uh, you're a professional, they really just completely smoke anything else that's out there. And if you want to try to even get a PC that's comparable to, let's say, an, even like an M1 Mini or, or the, the Mac Pro, you're going to have to spend, you know, two and three times more that you would on the Mac to even try to come close with that kind of, you know, capabilities. And you get this out of the box. That's the point I want to make. You know, even as an average user, when you go to the Mac store, you don't have to do anything extra. You're getting the M1 chip built right into your mini or your air. And now they're saying, I just read a rumor that sometime this year, they might have uh, the new airs coming out with the M2s uh, chips. So uh, Apple is just continuing to sort of advance the ball, so to speak, on the field at this point. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to confuse the issue, but it really comes down to your personal choice, whether you need a laptop, whether you need a desktop, what kinds of things you want to do. I, you know, it's interesting because I'm 55 years old. I've been doing this for so long. I'm still old school. I like my desktop computer. I, 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 I have a MacBook Pro. I take it with me when I go up to my brothers in Buffalo or I, you know, spend time with my girlfriend, whatever. But thing that I'm on right now is my Mac mini. This is my desktop. Like I said, I'm contemplating when the new iMacs come out going over to an iMac. I just feel more comfortable personally having a desktop computer in front of me. That's old school thinking. I know people can laugh at me and that's fine. But I know there's other people like me out there that they just feel a lot more comfortable and solid having a desktop option and having a laptop that they may just take with them when they go places. So you know, again, though, it's personal philosophy. And as a user, you, you know, you can make that decision. So voiceover is the accessibility tool for blind people that's built into all Macs. If you're an iOS user and you're blind, you probably are very familiar with using voiceover in the iOS world. And it exists in virtually the same sort of manner as it does in the Mac world. And in fact, they all, they share a lot of common features a lot of common functionality, uh, voiceover preferences on the Mac. Have uh, the iOS world has kind of come caught up with the Mac as far as the voiceover preferences and things that you can do for customization. Um, it's built into the Macs. You don't have to pay extra. There's no licensing that you have to purchase from a vendor. Um, it's supported by Apple. Contrary to the rumors and myths out there, there is a large accessibility team that um, maintains voiceover. Um, I had the pleasure when I, when I was working directly with Apple, contracted with them in 2014, to have interacted with some of the accessibility people through developer meetings. Um, one of the things that Apple does as sort of a side note, unlike Microsoft, where a lot of stuff is compartmentalized, Apple accessibility is involved in any developer meeting. So it doesn't matter what piece of software, what feature is being worked on in the meeting. There always is an accessibility team member or team members present um, in these meetings. I sat in on probably five or six different meetings through the time that I was out in California. And every time I was there representing the quality assurance accessibility wing, there was always part the voiceover people. There was always somebody from the voiceover team that was also either sitting in on the meeting or was there by way of, uh, of uh, WebEx. 
So, you know, the, it's accessibility is part of Apple's mantra. And they do have a voiceover team that, contrary again to what people think, when you send an email to accessibility at apple.com, somebody reads it and it is filed with the engineers and it's filed under priority. In other words, how many people uh, report the problem, complain about the problem. This is one of the reasons why I try to encourage my clients and people who attend the Mac user email lists. When you have a problem with iOS or you have a problem with the Mac and it's a shared problem that a lot of people are experiencing, take the time to write an email to accessibility. Don't assume and say, oh, uh, you know, there's 10 other people on the list who, so they probably report it, so why should I? You should, because the more voices, the more emails that Apple gets reporting the same problem, that's how you push something up the priority chain. So, and, and the other piece of advice is don't be nasty about it. Don't be curt about it. Don't say, you know, ah, this, you broke this without, you know, you, you, you want to be professional and you want to give them as much detail as possible. Don't just say there's a problem using mail in iOS you have to fix. Oh, that's great. What problem are we talking about? How do I duplicate this problem? How can I see what's going on an iPhone and, in in, you know, an engineering situation? So you want to report the steps. You want to report the situations in which you're experiencing these things. And the more you do it, the more detailed you, you are, it's going to help the engineers and it's going to eventually resolve the bugs. So voiceover is always updated with Mac OS. It's not always listed in the, you know, developer notes. But if you're a voiceover user, you will often find that there are things that have either suddenly fixed or there's some feature that you weren't aware of or a new keyboard shortcut in town that you weren't aware of that you either find by accident or I, I always read the help material, the keyboard help commands list and summary and all that stuff, because it's always interesting that Apple sneaks a lot of stuff into voiceover. So back in 2005, when voiceover first came out, I could understand fully why people sort of shrugged or even laughed at Apple's attempt to try to get, you know, the same equal footing as, you know, the Windows screen reader. But you turn the clock ahead 17 years. And, you know, from my experience as in both environments, Apple's done a pretty darn job accelerating the uh, the diversity and realm of their, you know, the, what voiceover does on a Mac compared to what JAWS or Dolphin or any other screen reader could do in Windows. And that includes the built-in apps that come with your Mac. And that includes Safari, which is the Apple web browser uh, for the Mac, or if you choose to use Firefox or Google Chrome, whatever the case may be. So voiceover has its own preferences. There is what is called the voiceover utility, which is really the control panel for voiceover. It allows you to customize voiceover in so many different ways. You know, whether you're talking about how you want text to be read to you, how you want to navigate the web, you know, just all kinds of areas that you can, you know, and you can also save your voiceover preferences. You can easily load them onto other Macs if you need to borrow a Mac in a library or if you're a student in school and they have Macs in the lab that you need access to, you just bring your preferences on a thumb drive and you can borrow uh, voiceover without ruining or changing any of the preferences that somebody else may have on their Mac.
So, you know, the excessive, I just want to point this out because there is a distinct uh, difference between the voiceover preferences as opposed to the low vision accessibility preferences. So if you go into system preferences on Macs.org, if you haven't updated to Mac OS Ventura, it's still called system preferences. If you have updated to Mac OS Ventura, which is Mac OS 13 now, you'll notice that they've changed system preferences into system settings. And system settings mirror very closely settings on iPhones now. So if you are so comfortable using your iOS device and knowing where to find specific settings, 99% you're gonna find them in the same locations on your Mac now. So if you that kind of makes the, the crossover or compatibility a lot more you know, easily. But there are accessibility settings, um, separate accessibility settings. And when you go into the accessibility settings, you'll find a lot of customization that you can do as a low vision client, including Zoom, uh, all kinds of options for using Zoom. Uh, you have display options, you have color contrast, smart contrast, you can mess with the mouse, you can mess with fonts. There's a lot of things that you can do based on your visual acuity. You know, I, I know that there's a, an attitude in the sighted world about, you know, blindness and low vision. And it's like two, you lump them into two categories, but low vision, the spectrum of what is considered to be legally blind is incredible because there's all kinds of eye conditions. There's all kinds of visual acuities that come with those eye conditions. People with central vision, uh, people who have only per peripheral vision, you know, people who see their, their vision is honeycombed. You know, there's people who have RP, there's people with macular degeneration in which their vision, vision is just fading and becoming cloudy. You know, so when you are working with a computer, you want your accessibility tools to be able to, you know, basically accommodate your visual situation. And, you know, that's where you really want to mess with the display settings. And, you know, you have speakable text and basically everything. If you, if you were a low vision user in the iOS world, you're going to find the, the similar features in the Mac environment. And that would be, again, under system preferences, accessibility, or under system settings and accessibility. And you can just go in there and play to your heart's content and change and manipulate and reset. So whatever, you know, you need to do and those settings will be saved. So you don't have to worry when you reboot your Mac, if you got to do it all over again, that's, that's not what happens. You know, whatever settings you make, um, if you're sharing a computer with a, with a sighted person, I would highly recommend separate accounts so that if you do make accessibility changes or you are a voiceover user, you probably want to keep your, maintain your own account on your Mac. So if you have a spouse or a ch children sharing the computer, you want to have people log in with their own, uh, you know, account passwords and such so that if, you know, you don't want a person always changing your settings when they use their computer because they don't like the way you have the screen set up if you're partial vision or they do something that messes up voiceover because they don't want voiceover on and they don't want the changes that you've made that are you know related to voiceover. So that's just a piece of advice from my standpoint. So as far as what you can do with your Mac, everything that you can do with your PC, unless you have proprietary needs for a job environment where they have a piece of software that is only, you know, Windows specific, basically the tools of the trade, Microsoft Office, et cetera, 
they're compatible on the Mac. There's Mac versions that are that are voiceover compatible. If you need Braille output, you can use a Braille display. I know we had a couple of deafblind people who contacted me privately, and if they see the transcript of this uh, of this uh, presentation, you know the Macs use Braille displays. There are no drivers involved. You don't have to download any 